I'm going to read a scripture for us in preparation for our sermon. In doing that, I'm going to reach down here and get my Bible, which is where I keep all of my scriptures. I just, I find it so much more convenient to keep them in one place. Uh, you, you do whatever works for you. I don't want to, you know, prejudge anyone. This is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 19 in chapter uh, 6 through the end of the chapter. It's an extensive, again, a long passage, but it uh, captures a number of great ideas about the treasure. So, let me read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. So determined to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland of California was this lady named Florence Chadwick. And so I don't know if you know how far that is or if you're familiar with that part of the country, but it's about a 22-mile swim. Now, that's pretty significant, right? I mean, that's a long swim. I mean, that's a long bike. That's a long run. That's a long anything. So she's determined to swim this distance. And, and as she goes out and she begins the swim uh, in the ocean there, uh, there a, a dense fog sets in. On, uh, on, on the water, and it becomes difficult to see. And, uh, and her mother is in a boat next to her, encouraging her on as she's swimming and making her way uh, toward the beach. And, and uh, several times she wanted to give up, but uh, she didn't until right at the very end. And she hopped in the boat and, and gave up. And you know what her words were when she hopped into the boat? She said, all I could see was fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I might have made it. I think if I could see the shore, I might have made it. So as we talk about treasure today, this is applicable to us because I think the way that we talk about treasure really depends on, on what, what we treasure in life. And what we treasure in life 
really depends on where we see our home being, our eternal home being. So, can you see the shore of eternity this morning? Can you, can, can you see it? Or is the fog of life too thick for you to see Jesus reigning and exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father, with everything beneath Him, everything entrusted to Him, preparing a place for the saints? Can you see Him this morning? Because when it's not the case for us, we will make our lives about this temporary fool's gold that we, that we play around with on this, on this world. And we'll not be convinced to live kingdom lifestyles until we actually are convinced that eternity with Jesus is better than anything we've ever experienced in life. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. It's, I ran across this quote from a guy named Randy Alcorn that wrote this great book on heaven. And he says, he says this in part of it. Where we choose to store our treasure depends on where we think our home is. Let me say that again. Where we choose to store our treasure depends on where we think our home is. And, and I think this is so true uh, because the reality is for us, it's, it's not that we don't believe in eternity. It'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in here that doesn't believe in eternity. It's not that we don't want to invest our lives in eternity. It's not that we don't believe that there's a new heavens and a new earth coming. It's just that for so much of our life, the old earth is all we see. And because God created it, there's a lot to enjoy, and we get so encumbered in the things that we see right in front of us. And Jesus challenges his disciples as he preaches this sermon that, that there's a great danger in doing that. And if it's, if it's all that we know and believe, you know, this old earth, how could we possibly be eager to effectively long for and invest in the kingdom to come? How could we ever do that when all we see and all we think about is this old earth? We can't. So the first thing we got to talk about this morning is heaven. We have to talk about heaven because we so often forget about what heaven is. And, and I'm convinced, I mean, if you're anything like me, I'm pretty illiterate about heaven. I think a lot about today and what God's Word says about today, but God's Word has a lot to say about eternity. And, and the more that we press ourselves into eternity, we learn how to live today in the here and now. I've, I've said this before, what you think about the future determines how you live today. And I think that's very, very true. So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is what is heaven? What is heaven? So if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down as we look into this. Now there is in no way, shape, or form that I can be exhaustive on this topic, but I just want to whet our appetites for what God has in store for His people, and I think that will empower us to live the way that God wants us to live with, with, with treasure. So what is heaven? Uh, I, I think this is true. Whatever, wherever the risen Christ is, that is heaven. Let me say that again. Wherever the risen Christ is, that is heaven. Now, the Bible uh, teaches us that, that heaven is more about a person than a place. Now, heaven is a place, but heaven is far more about a person than a place because Jesus is the one that makes heaven, heaven. His presence, his, his, uh, the, the way that He loves and, and serves and gives Himself away to us the glory that he embodies is what makes heaven, heaven. But the thing that we think about so often is just the place. Now the place is important, but the person is far more important. 
So heaven currently is the place where Jesus is, and he's seated, the scriptures say, at the right hand of the Father. And the souls of the redeemed, those who believe in Jesus, go to be with him, and they dwell with him until the final judgment in which we get physical, redeemed, resurrection bodies. So our souls go to be with him. Anyone who's, who, who, who follows Jesus, who's gone on from this life to the next, is with the Father in heaven, is with G- Jesus seated at his right hand today. And, and 1 John 3 reminds us this, we know that when, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 1 Corinthians 15 says a similar thing about the fact that when Jesus rose from the dead, he also enabled us to live resurrected lives. Not just, not just metaphorically speaking today that, that we have hope, but we will actually receive resurrected bodies. That the decay and the deterioration that we experience in this life are momentary. It's, it's a great truth that, he, that, that the Scriptures teach us. and the, the Bible teaches that after the final judgment on earth where sin, corruption, and decay uh, will all be dealt with forever. And that heaven, get this, and earth will actually become one. So it's like that old, that, uh, that old cheesy 80s song, Heaven is a Place on Earth. You guys know what I'm talking about? That super cheesy song? That actually has pretty good theology, turns out, right? Heaven, so where do I get this from, right? Revelation chapter 21. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 just real quick here. So John is writing this vision, writing about this vision that he has about eternity and about Jesus. And he, and he says this as God reveals it to him. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God in heaven is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And what will he do when that happens? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's all the pain that we've experienced. He'll wipe it away in eternity. We won't experience that part of the decay of life anymore. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Notice the Bible doesn't say, Behold, I am making all new things. There's a big difference in God saying, behold, I'm making all new things, and then saying, behold, I'm making all things new. God will recreate and renew the earth to be fit for his presence, to be fit for heaven. This old earth's death will be no different than our own. The destruction of all things that are tarnished by sin will immediately be replaced with the full and undiluted glory of God for us to enjoy forever. This means that the redemptive realities of earth will be shot through with the presence of Jesus forever, and the curse will be undone forever. Anthony Hokema is this theologian, and he he reminds us of this reality, and he says it like this, 
In his redemptive activity, God does not destroy the works of his hands. Now think about that. Now, we, we could have a lot of conflicting thoughts about that statement right there. But here's where he's going with this. But he cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. God came to make all things new. He says, applied to the problem at hand, this principle means that the new earth to which we look forward to will not be totally different from the present one, but will be a renewal and glorification of the earth on which we now live. Church, earth isn't bad. Sin has um, infected and destroyed a lot of what we experience on this earth, but God created and he said it's good. And he created you and I, and you know what he said? He said it's very good. God has coming to make all things new. Even today. So we don't just long and wait for it in eternity. In fact, in Matthew 6, where we learned about the Lord's Prayer, the Scriptures teach us that we are praying for God's kingdom to come on uh, as, uh, as it is on earth, as heaven as it is on earth. There we go. That's what we pray for. So he's saying that the eternal is actually impacting the temporal now. But it will one day finally and fully come. And the Scriptures teach us in Colossians 3 that we need to be thinking about that more than we are. He says this in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So he gives us the freedom to let our mind and our imagination run wild to what eternity with the full and undiluted presence of Jesus will be like for us. And when we begin to do that, when we catch a glimpse of what it's like to be with Jesus forever, apart from the power and presence of sin, then we begin to get what it looks like to live today. When we treasure Christ, we learn how to handle treasure that He entrusts us with on this earth. There will be a day of the new creation of the heavens and the earth. And God will judge this world that we live on now, this earth that we live on. And His kingdom will come more fully than it's ever been before. And all the saints will be here to enjoy it with Jesus. That's a beautiful thing that we can't think enough about. But here's, here's where I'm going with all this. There are things that we do today that will make it through the fire of cleansing and judgment. There are things that we do today, investments that we will make that will be eternal. They will last through judgment. It's what the Scriptures teach us. He's making all things new. And He's beginning to do it today. Eternity is a part of our picture today. Now, we don't get to experience it finally and fully yet, but we get to experience it in bits and pieces every single day. And this is why Jesus teaches us to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth. So let's dig into that. How do we lay up treasure in heaven? First thing we said was this, we've got we to think about heaven more. We've got to understand what heaven is, what it's like to be with God and for Him to make all things new. Let me ask you this, have you ever made a poor investment before anyone in here? Willing to say you've made a poor investment. I, I can remember uh, when, when I was 17, uh, I had got some graduation money, uh, and then I had some, some money of my own, about $3,000 in total. And uh, I had really, 
I really wanted to buy a fast red car. Isn't that, I mean, anybody else want to buy a fast red car? Some of you have it. It's sitting out in the parking lot right now. It's awesome. So I wanted to buy this fast red car. And listen, here's the deal. I was so blinded by my desire for a fast red car that I would do anything to get it. And so listen, I didn't really care about the mechanics as long as I, it would drive fast in the moment for me when I test drove it. Pretty good chance I'm going to buy it. But here's the deal. I had this mom problem, right? Mom's like, uh, no, you need to take a mechanic with you. You need to talk to your dad. You need to do this. And I'm thinking, I just want a fast red car. And so I did what any 17-year-old boy would do. I waited till my mom was having a major surgery and was laid up in the hospital. And I went and bought that fast red car. And I drove it to the hospital, and I told her all about it. And like the little, you know, the heart monitor kind of spiked up a little bit. And uh, she was not happy with me. And about a, a year went by, and that fast red car was no more. It just died. It wasn't good. It had so many miles on it. It was mechanically in bad shape. It was a poor investment. And I wanted to go fast, and I wanted to go fast now. Isn't that the narrative of our flesh? We want to go fast, and we want to go fast now in a fast, shiny red car. We don't care about the long-term effects. We'll make that investment. We want things that are shiny and blingy, and we find out that they're rusty and faulty, and they're not eternal. We find that out no matter, no matter what the object is or the thing that we're after. If it's, not, if it's not Jesus, the treasure always changes. It's never enough treasure. It's amazing how that happens day in, day out. And we, we all want to invest our resources and our lives in things that count eternally. That's a desire of our hearts. We want to do that. But somehow we, we always manage not doing it quite as much as we wanted to. We're coming into a new year now. You look back at last year and you think, man, what did I, make my, what did I invest my life in last year? You kind of think through the things, you know, whether it be your money, your time, your talent, uh, your work skill, your relationships. What did you invest in? Was it just yourself or was it the kingdom of God? Because the scriptures teach us that there are really two things that last in this world. Two things that are eternal. People and the kingdom of God. Those are the two things that are eternal. People, meaning whether they're redeemed or they're not redeemed, they will go on to live forever, whether it be in heaven or whether it be in hell. People are eternal. The kingdom of God is also eternal. This is why the scriptures say that Jesus has come to make all things new, even today. And then we pray for, for heaven to meet earth as we live today, for eternity to be in our midst. But when you, when you treasure Jesus, this priority emerges in your life. And it's one of those things that it's, it's, it's more like a continuum than it is kind of a, a light switch. This continuum emerges in your life, that your life begins to be about the advancement of the kingdom through the hearts of people. The advancement of the kingdom through the hearts of people. And everything about us ultimately either serves or doesn't serve this purpose. And so I want to look at I want to look at Matthew 6, where we started today, starting in verse 19. And i got a few points I want to make about how we lay up treasure in heaven. The first one is this. We have to constantly refocus our eyes on the right treasure. Now, now I wish it could be true where we could just say, hey, once I kind of get this one time, I know that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I'm good to go, right? Don't, don't we want living in God's kingdom to be like that? We're so, we're so blind sometimes to our flesh and the power of the enemy to convince us otherwise. And so what I see in the Scripture is that we have to constantly be coming back to these truths. Every week, every day, 
every hour, every moment, we have to remember what the real treasure is in life. So Matthew 6, 19-21 says this, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, where they're unsecured is what he's saying. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the, the, the caveat, the, the kind of the disclaimer I want to give right here is this. Things aren't bad. Right? We just said that God created things. He created you to have dominion over the earth and to make things and build things and, and for us to have amazing designs and engineers and buildings and all these things. I mean, the, there's a reason why the kingdom of God starts in a garden and it ends in a city. He's created us to make things, to use raw materials. So I don't want you to hear me say anything like that today. The problem comes in when we begin aiming our lives to serve things instead of using things to build God's kingdom. That's the difference there. And so, when we think about Matthew 6 here, when he talks about storing up treasure in heaven, the thing that we need to remember is, what is heaven? Heaven is where, anywhere that the risen Christ is. Anywhere Jesus is. So, so friends, Jesus is the treasure. The, the, the point of of what he's saying is that Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. And from the fullness of His presence, as John 1 uh, verse 16 says, we receive grace upon grace. Psalm 16 reminds us that at His right hand there is fullness and pleasures forevermore. Think about that. We, when, when we are in Christ, we, we operate out of a default of fullness, not emptiness. That could be, that could be the best thing that you, you take away from what we're talking about today, is that in Christ we're full, not empty. And the world is going to, to try to, to tempt us to believe otherwise. Every single day the enemy will do the same thing. When we get the treasure right, everything else lines up. And In verse 21 he says, where your treasure is, there your, your heart will be also. So if you want your heart... Uh, to, if you want to have a heart for more missions, you, you want to have a global mindset, he's saying, send your treasure toward missions and your heart will follow it. It's, it's a really interesting concept that he says you, you, you will, you will tre- you, your heart will follow what you treasure. So when Jesus is the treasure, our hearts will follow the things that he values. We'll be concerned about the poor. We'll be concerned about lost folks will be concerned about living in light of who He is. And it'll, everything in our lives will be shot through with that kind of meaning. Matthew 13 talks about this concept of treasure too. And it's a parable, a really short parable Jesus shares. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. Which a man found and he, he covered it up. Because it was so valuable. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. So this is where the rubber meets the road for us. Will you buy that field this morning? Will you treasure Christ above all in 2018? Will you give yourself more fully than you did in 2017? Because the, the Scriptures teach us that, that, that it's Jesus that carries us on to completion. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will carry you on to completion. It has this notion that, that, that we're conforming more and more to the image of Jesus, as Romans 8 says, every single day that we walk in Christ. 
And so that means our treasure, our ability to treasure Jesus grows a little bit more and a little bit more each day. And as the treasure grows, the heart for the kingdom grows more and more and more each day. Will you treasure Him? Will you sell all that you have? All that you are to follow Jesus in that way. Our temptation is to think about life as a bucket list. And to say, if I don't accomplish these things in my life, my life will not be worth it. Randy Alcorn in his book suggests that maybe we should think about life in terms of a, of a post-kick-the-bucket list. All of the things that you get to experience in eternity that you could never experience now. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. What if we sank ourselves into that? We're not going to be disappointed when we're with Jesus forever, church. Sink ourselves into that. He goes on to say in Matthew 6.22 that there is, he kind of makes this shift and he says, he uses this kind of metaphor of the eye being a lamp of the body. And, and I think what we've got to look out for is this. is He's instructing us to beware of the blinding power of greed. That, that greed is different than other sin because it has the potential to blind us the ways that other sin cannot. He says this in Matthew 6, 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus is saying that the power of greed is different than other sins. It, it's so subtle that and, and it's so ambiguous that you can't, really, you can't really figure it out. You don't really know where you're at when it comes to greed. But he's saying it's different because it's an eye sin. Meaning that it has the, the power to blind you to, to other sins. And, and the power to blind you in such a way and to impair your vision in such a way where you don't even realize that it's happening. That's the scariest thing about it. You don't even realize that it's happening to you. We become blind to the relative values at hand. You know, on one hand, we, we, we trade uh, the, the, the temporal uh, for the eternal day in, day out. We, we forget. We look at the treasure that we could have on this earth, maybe monetary or whatever it would be. And, and we, we look at it and we forget that, that Romans 8.17 says that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Meaning that that He owns it all, and because we are heirs, we have it all. We forget that that's our inheritance. That that's what's coming to us, and we, we trade it out. It's, it's like what C.S. Lewis says in his, in his work, uh, The Weight of Glory, where he talks about this, this kid that, that would rather, he would rather, uh, he'd rather make mud pies in a slum than ha experience a holiday at the beach because he doesn't know in his mind that that's even possible. He doesn't have a category for that. Church, you and I have a category for eternity with Jesus. And it's far better, as the Scriptures say, than we could, we could ask or imagine. It's so, it's so good. But greed will take it and rob it from you. It'll steal it away from you every single day if we let it. So what's the diagnostic for us for a greedy heart? How do we know whether we're struggling with greed or not? I, I found in my life that um, when I ask myself this or someone else asks me this question, are you greedy? Whatever my response is, is really revealing to where my heart is with stuff and with money. 
So in your mind, when you ask yourself that question, if you kind of squirm around and you're kind of looking for an alibi or saying, hey, I'm not as, I don't have as much money as those people, so there's no way I can be greedy. Greed has very little to do with how much money you have. I'll say that. You can have very little and be very greedy. It just so happens that the Scriptures teach the more that you have, uh, maybe the easier it is to become greedy. I think about the rich young ruler that when Jesus kind of puts his, his finger on the pulse of his heart and he says, hey, go sell all that you have and give it to the, the poor. The man walks away sad. Jesus is saying that most people who are greedy don't even entertain the possibility that their hearts may be greedy. And that's the power of the blindness that we can be just taken by. So where, where are you with this today? It's, again, I think it's a continuum. It's not, it's not a light switch here. It's not, it's not an on-off. It's a continuum. Are you growing more and more into treasuring Christ and treasuring the world? Because our prayer this year would be that we'd grow more and more into that. And it doesn't mean that you don't have stuff or you don't have things. God created the material world. He created currency. All of those things. We have to, we have to use those things, but it's, it's about not letting them sit on the throne of our hearts. That's what, that's what Jesus is after in that. Lastly, uh, where uh, Matthew 6 t- takes us is this, is that we're to allow the gospel to transform us uh, from, from a, a lifestyle of being a, con- uh, instead of a consumer, we're a steward of the things that God has entrusted us with. So he says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and he'll, he'll love the other, he'll be devoted to the one and he'll, he'll despise the other. He says, you can't serve both God and money. So, so the work of the gospel for us, church, is to lift us from the delusion, to, to, to heighten our awareness that this is possible and probable for our flesh. And to just acknowledge that and say, look, I'm, I'm probably more greedy than I think I am. And Jesus wants that part of my life. And he's interested in redeeming me in, in that place of my heart. He's interested in that. So where does the power for our transformation come from? It comes uh, from Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 8 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, that though he was rich, church, I know how rich he is. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So what did Jesus do as he sat at the right hand of the Father before he entered into time and space through the incarnation? What did he do? Jesus gave it all up. You know why he gave it all up? Because he wanted to share it with you. Think about that this morning. Let that melt you. Jesus gave it all up so that he could share it with you. Jesus is is that good. He he became poor so that we could become rich. He gave it all up. So the the thing to consider for us this morning is, are we willing to step more into that than we were when we walked in here this morning? You know, I'm I'm a pretty mean Monopoly champion. All right, anybody else? Monopoly champion. I mean, guys, I went like two years without losing Monopoly. And I, I was playing with, like, high school students most of the time, but that's neither here nor there. But, but there was a time when I lost, and I came to this real... I mean, guys, I wanted to play Monopoly like some of you want to play Settlers or Catans. Or, 
or, or poker or whatever, you know. I, I love playing Monopoly. I was trying to always get a game, but it turns out not many people had four hours to spend playing the game. But uh, anyway, I, the thing I realized about Monopoly is that, you know, I was, I would play this game, I'd get so into it, and I probably wouldn't play with anyone in the church because you guys would be like, this guy cannot be a pastor because I'm just kind of just kind of going after it. It's a game, right? Uh, but, but here's what I realized. At the end of the Monopoly game, each and every time, no matter how well I'd performed in my mind, it all went back in the box. Every game, it all went back into the box. And with our lives, the things that we invest that are not eternal things, we're not investing in kind of an eternal enterprise, it all goes back into the box. I, I, I had this, I had this, my first car was a 20-year-old truck, Okay. It was, a, it was a Chevy Custom Deluxe. It was a redneck hillbilly truck if I've ever seen one. My parents said they got it for me uh, because they thought that I might be more safe in it because it was like solid steel, right? And so they were trying to box me in on the country road that I lived in. And uh, I was so, I, I was pretty proud of this truck. This was before the red car, fast red car. That didn't last long, as I told you. But um, it was before that, and, and, and I was so excited about this truck because you know, I got the truck about a year before I got my license, and I was just trying to fix this thing up, and I was, I was putting lipstick on a pig, okay? I mean, this thing was like, it, it had rust all over it, but I was like going and buying this special spray paint to like tr- Rust-Oleum or whatever, trying to get the rust to go away, and you know what happened like a year after that is the rust shows up again, and I'm thinking, how can this be? I put Rust-Oleum on this. The rust is supposed to go away. Jesus is saying that you know, moths, rust, thieves. We, we, we put, you know, mothballs, rust-oleum, and we buy safes to keep our things in a, in a safe place. But at the end of the day, none of our material possessions last. That's what he's saying. And it's so difficult to see that day in and day out. It's so difficult to believe that because this old earth is all we see. So he says, lay treasure up in heaven. So the question is, how do we do that? That sounds great. And we know that there are two things that last, you know, people and the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? Timothy has uh, written a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he instructs us in this, and this will be kind of where we close today. First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19 say this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I want to stop right there. God has richly provided everything for us to do what? To enjoy. To enjoy. But we can only enjoy the things that God has entrusted us with, every good and perfect gift that he's given us. We can only enjoy it when our hope is set on God. When we set our hope on God instead of our stuff, we actually are released to enjoy the things that God has entrusted us to. He goes on to say, to to tell us how to store this treasure up. He says this, they are to do good. He gives us some really practical things. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. There's kind of three three themes there. And when we do do those three things, we're we're storing up treasure for ourselves as a foundation for the future. So so Paul's mind as he writes to Timothy is on eternity. If If you want to know how to store up a good foundation for the future. If you want to know how to store up treasure in heaven, if you want to be able to take hold of that which is truly life instead of the appearance of life, this fool's gold, 
it really has very little to do with what's actually in your hand. It has far more to do with what's in your heart, is what he's saying. And so he gives us those kind of three themes. So when, these, when, when, the, when the things of the earth take their rightful place, we can actually enjoy God's stuff because we actually enjoy God. And we don't think he's trying to take away from us, but we're operating out of a mindset of fullness. So these three evidences are this. To, to do good and be rich in good works. I'll never forget the day that I was, uh, I was shoveling snow uh, with, a, with uh, one of the elders of the church that I was on staff at in Indianapolis uh, to make some extra money. I was a youth pastor there. And um, we'd, we'd finished, um, there was a lot of snow, we'd finished, um, but he paid me what I thought was an un, uh, ungodly amount of money to do what I'd, what, what I'd done. It's kind of weird to say it like that, but it was an absurd amount of money. Um, and when he, he gave me, the, I think I worked for like a couple hours, he gave me like a hundred bucks. It was, it, was, it was like, I was like, come on, man, this is crazy. And he quoted, I tried to give him the money back, and he quoted this he, he, from Galatians 6. He said, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who belong to the household of faith. That day, Ralph Hill sowed more into my life than a hundred dollars ever could. And he sowed into me in a way that I, that I didn't even know I needed. I needed the lesson of what it looks like to, to be generous and to do good, especially those who belong to the household of faith. What has God entrusted to you to, to give to others? I needed that lesson more than I needed the hundred bucks. And I found myself have lots of opportunities to do the same thing that Ralph did for me that day. And, and you never know what kind of eternal lesson that God is planting in someone whenever you do that. He says, he goes on to say, be generous. So give out of the abundance of God's blessing in your life, he's saying. Did you know you'll never have enough money to be generous? Uh, you need to know that because generosity is birthed in the heart, not the bank. We'll never have enough to be generous. This is why Jesus says, there's this, there's this widow who gives an offering. It's called, the story's called The Widow's Might, and the Bible gives this offering and it says that she gave out of her poverty instead of her abundance. And Jesus really says this is the most generous person other than Jesus that's ever walked on the face of the earth, basically, is what he's saying. It wasn't Solomon who had more money than anyone else, but it was this widow. She was the most generous person. So you need to know that you'll never have enough money to be generous because it's birthed in the heart. So you have the potential to be the most generous person in the church or in the neighborhood or in the city, and it has, nothing, it has very little to do with how much money you have in the bank. He also says, be ready to share. And I really felt like this one was kind of aimed at everyone in the church that has a truck. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You got a truck, you know somebody's moving, and you're like, oh, you're kind of like trying to get out of the conversation. You're looking for opportunities to share God's stuff instead of hiding your stuff from others. You're not, you're not afraid for people to know that God has entrusted you with stuff because it belongs to Him. And you're ready to share it with others. We'll go back to our big idea. Where we choose to store our treasure depends on where we think our home is. Church, I want to I challenge you to let that drive every part of who you are today. Because you know what? The, 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 things, you know, the things that I treasured when I was younger, I mean, I buried a time capsule when I was eight. Anybody else do one of those? Buried this time capsule, buried it in my friend's backyard next to a couple of dead dogs. It had, you know, some 
you know, some baseball cards, some pogs, and some other things like that. And, uh, you know, if you were to say, hey, man, you should probably go dig up that treasure today, I would say that's not even close to worth the gas money to drive into Kentucky to go to get that. Because my, my treasure's changed, right? The treasure's changed. Maybe, maybe God is leading you to leave some stuff that really mattered to you in the ground this morning. Because when Jesus is the treasure, it never changes, it always grows. Let's make Jesus the treasure this morning, church. Let's pray. Father, we, we just give thanks that, um, that while we were still sinners, that you sent Jesus to die for us. And that though he was rich and he was seated at your right hand, he came and, and, he, and he bore all of our sin on the cross. He became poor so that we could become rich. And God, we just confess that, that our hearts are, are full of greed. Um, and we need to grow in this. And, and it feels weird to talk about money. And, and God, we know that we're the richest country that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And that you're after us, God. And we don't want to have this poverty gospel that says that you can't have anything because that's not what you say in your word. But you just want our heart. You want our hearts to treasure your son, Jesus. God, we want to grow in that this morning. So, so would you help us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.